Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll be preaching today from the Old Testament reading, Genesis 4, 1-15, the account of Cain and Abel. We'll be working through it pretty closely today, so if you want to open it up in your Bibles, it's on page 5 of the Old Testament. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we hear your word to us today, we ask for your Holy Spirit Convict us of our sin, lead us to faith in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you who were here a few weeks ago may remember that I preached on Genesis 2 with a sermon entitled, Man in the Garden of God. And in that sermon we looked at the significance of what's described in Genesis chapter 2, that God puts the first human beings in a garden where there's beauty and there's productive work and there's fellowship with God. That is God's original design for how human beings are to flourish. Now in Genesis chapter 4, we're on the other side of the fall into sin. That fall which has ruptured the perfection of God's good creation. So now we get a picture of just how bad things will be in the world corrupted by sin. Now, if you like, we get a picture of man outside the garden of God. And it's not a pretty picture. As these first human beings are expelled from the garden of Eden, the very first story we are told is one of pride, envy, anger, Bitterness, jealousy, revenge and cold-blooded murder. Murder of one's very own brother. This is the Bible's depiction of man outside the garden of God and it is a sobering one to reflect on. Although it also points forward to the one who will come to redeem this broken world. So let's see how it unfolds. In verse 1, Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. Now, one of the big questions that we have of this text is why it all goes so wrong. Why does Cain seem to spiral down in his anger so quickly? And our departure point for answering that question is usually to do with the Lord's favouring of Abel over Cain. That seems to be the trigger and we'll come to that. But before we get there, notice right back here at the start that there are some interesting details worth considering. Did you notice how Eve expresses her great joy at Cain, the firstborn's birth, that he comes with the Lord's help, and then it says she had Abel. Full stop. No comment. What's going on there? Someone has suggested that Cain and Abel are a bit like the siblings in our families, you know, when there's plenty of photos of the first one but not so many of the subsequent children. You know, mum and dad just 
lose a bit of enthusiasm for that sort of thing, don't they? Of course you love all your children but you're flat out trying to find any photos of the third or fourth child. Notice too that Cain, he works the ground just like Adam. He follows in dad's footsteps but Abel, he's off doing something else. He's keeping the sheep. He perhaps has to find his own way. The suggestion here is that Perhaps this is significant background to what happens later. That Cain as the firstborn develops this all too familiar pride in his position. And he wasn't used to his little brother showing him up. And perhaps mum and dad contributed to this problem. The text goes on. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So these first two brothers, they bring their offerings. Cain, the farmer, brings his produce. Abel, the shepherd, brings his lamb. And it seems to us in the text as if the Lord arbitrarily favours Abel over Cain, doesn't it? This is another one of those Bible stories where we instinctively say, that's not fair. And so we sympathise a bit with Cain's anger. What is going on here? Well, the first thing to consider is that perhaps the reason this part of the text grabs us so much is that we actually know This is what life's like a lot of the time, isn't it? Life is not fair. Why is it that some of you have two children or more than that and they have the same parents, the same biology, they're raised in the same environment, you basically bring them up the same and yet for one child things just sort of seem to fall into place, everything goes well, for the other it's just one piece of bad luck after another. Perhaps you feel like this yourself, with your siblings or just with other people generally. Why is it, we ask, that cancer strikes here but not there? Why is it that one person seems to fall into a happy marriage and another just seems to be a bit of a disaster? This is real life, isn't it? And so before we go searching for the reason the Lord favoured Abel and his offering over Cain's, it's worth pausing and asking why the text initially gives us no reason. Perhaps to reflect this almost universal experience of the people of God, that life just doesn't always seem fair, that God's thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. Now, having said all of that, there are some details in the text worth considering and the New Testament helps us out here as well. Did you notice how the text makes the point of Abel bringing the first offerings, the fat portions, whereas of Cain it says he just brought an offering in general? Maybe that little detail is significant. That Abel perhaps brought the best and Cain just brought the rest. One of our members here during the week was telling me of his memories in childhood of his dad on the fruit block 
choosing the produce to bring to harvest thanksgiving at the church. And he said he remembers just how important it was to dad and mum that they bring only the best. No blemishes. Another little detail to notice here is that it says the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he did not have regard. The emphasis seems to be on the person first rather than the offering. If you like, it seems like the offering is accepted because of the person, not the other way around. This is why it seems in the New Testament we read this in Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Through this he received God's approval as righteous. So the New Testament says the big difference between Cain and Abel was faith. The picture, if you like, is like in the Gospel reading. That Abel comes in humble faith before God like the tax collector, whereas Cain comes in pride like the Pharisee. And the rest of the story seems to bear that out. That there is a fundamentally different attitude with which they're coming to God right from the start. The text continues in verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you. But you must master it. I think it's worth noticing here that if we didn't know how this story panned out, we could think that the Lord is overreacting here by warning Cain so strongly. Sure, Cain's a bit miffed and he's a bit sulky that the Lord's favoured his brother over him, but he'll get over it, won't he? Well, the Lord knows better. The Lord knows that this seed of jealousy and envy will become deadly if left unchecked. And so he wants to intervene with Cain He says something like this, it's not too late for you, Cain. You could even learn from Abel to get rid of the pride and come in faith as well. You too, Cain, can be accepted and favoured, but beware. The power of sin is lurking at the door of your heart like a wild animal, ready to pounce. And if you let that anger and that bitterness and that envy and that jealousy grow, watch out. It ain't going to be pretty. Isn't it true, friends, that we find it so hard to be happy for other people? Deep down, you know this, that often you would rather have other people fail than show you up. And think about this too. We have this phrase in modern English, to nurse a grudge. Have you ever reflected on what a vivid and quite terrible image that is? We have these grudges against other people, these feelings of anger and resentment that they seem to have all the luck or they seem to get ahead or whatever it is and we handle those feelings as a mother would tenderly care for her baby. We nurse them, we feed them, we hold them close and we don't want to let them go. 
We all know this, don't we? And God knows it. He sees it in Cain. He sees where it's heading and he warns Cain against it. You must master it. Don't let it get away from you. It's a warning also for us. The text continues in verse 8. Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Sadly, tragically, the warning falls on deaf ears. No response from Cain at all. Just like you and me, perhaps, when we're a bit angry at God. We don't want to hear it. Cain is angry at the Lord and he'd probably love to get his hands on God himself if he could, but Abel is the next best option. Perhaps a bit like us sometimes in the dark and twisted ways of our hearts, that we know we can punish someone even more by getting at someone else they love. Here's where violence truly begins in the Bible. We're so used to violence, but it's not the way it's meant to be. It's not part of God's good creation. We can't turn on the news or open the paper without hearing of another horrible act of violence, but this is where it all began. The first few chapters of Genesis speak of how every human being is made in the image of God, how the Lord breathes life into the man and the woman and they become living beings and there's this preciousness to human life. There's this sanctity of life in the first chapters of Genesis but the devastating consequence of sin is that we human beings are all too willing to take that life from another as if it's our right. And so God confronts Cain. Just as he did Adam, by the way, in the garden. Do you remember that question? Where are you, Adam? Now to Cain, where is your brother, Abel? Here's his chance to fess up, to take responsibility, to admit the sin and plead for mercy, but instead there is this insolent and arrogant response. Am I my brother's keeper? Effectively, mind your own business, God. Let me mind mine. How far has humanity fallen that a man has so little regard for his brother and so little respect for the Creator? In verse 10, The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. The innocent blood of Cain cries out, God says. It cries out for justice. As the old hymn says, Abel's blood for vengeance pleaded to the skies. Abel's innocent blood and the innocent blood that has been shed ever since cries out to the creator of life. But make no mistake, Abel's innocent blood does not just cry out for justice and vengeance against all the wickedness out there in the world. It cries out against the sin and evil 
in your heart and in mine. Because there is a little Cain in all of us. The pride, the envy, the jealousy, the bitterness. You know it dwells in the dark corners of your heart. You know those terrible secret thoughts that give you a glimpse of what you may well be capable of in different circumstances with different opportunities. And remember what our Lord Jesus said. You have heard it said to those of ancient times, do not murder, but I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. Who among us can escape Jesus' words? The innocent blood of Cain cries out for justice and vengeance. But dear friends, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that anger and vengeance and murder do not have the last word in the Bible. Thanks be to God that Cain's blood is not the last shed blood to cry out. Thanks be to God there is a sprinkled blood which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Because the hymn goes on, Abel's blood for vengeance pleaded to the skies but the blood of Jesus for our pardon, Christ. Thanks be to God that although there is a little Cain in all of us, there is a new and better Abel, your Lord Jesus Christ, and his shed blood from the cross speaks of the grace and the forgiveness, the pardon and the peace of God for you. Consider how Jesus is the new and better Abel Abel's is the very first sacrifice recorded in the Bible and it's a lamb. And Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Abel is also the very first shepherd in the Bible whose life was taken from him out of anger but Jesus is the good shepherd who willingly and out of love lays down his life for you, the sheep. Abel is the first brother we hear of in the Bible and the story is a tragedy. But Jesus was not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters and the story is glorious because as the book of Hebrews says, he tasted death for everyone so that his father could bring many sons and daughters to glory. Abel's death resulted in this dreadful curse. Jesus' death redeems us from the curse. Cain mysteriously received this mark to protect him. Even after the terrible murder, it seems there was some mercy from God to protect him. And you have been marked in your baptism with the sign of the Holy Cross, as little Hudson has been today. A sign that Christ, the new and better Abel, has redeemed you. And as you come to the Lord's Supper. You do come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And so the Lord can transform our hearts by his spirit from anger and hatred to love. 
Because as another famous hymn says of this blood of Jesus, it is of sin the double cure. It cleanses you of its guilt and power. The shed blood of Jesus for you not only forgives the sins of your heart, it also brings new power into your life. To be transformed into those who are not only freed from anger and hatred, but are freed for love. That's why the Apostle John says, Do not be like Cain. Instead, hear the message you have heard from the beginning. Love one another. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. So there's man outside the garden of God. Left on our own, it is a sobering picture, but thanks be to God that in Christ all is redeemed, all is made new. God grant it to us for Jesus' sake. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.